Okay. Well, let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll we'll start this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, and we give thanks to you that Lord, we were able to rise up this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we're able to that you've given us a mind to think through um, biblical truth. We can understand truth that, Lord, we can, you've given us a brain to process in such a way that we can understand. Lord, we know that that is, you've given us that as a gift. Lord, may we use that this morning to consider these truths that we're going to, to see in Genesis 3. Father, I pray that we would just seek after your truth. We would, Lord, we would be people of the Word, the Word of God. We would love your Word. Father, we would, Lord, I think of the Lord Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. Lord, I pray that we would see that this morning. Pray for this morning and for our service, for our communion later, and our church lunch. Lord, I pray that you would bless those times. Thank you for these dear saints. In Christ's name, amen. All right. <laughs> I'm leaning this way. You don't have, I mean, if you do, I could probably turn a little bit, but you don't have to. Uh, that, that way I'm not... Yeah. Okay, well, we're, uh, as you know, in Genesis, we've been in Genesis 1 and 2 over the past, over the past few, um, I, I think it's fine if I turn this way. Um, we've been in Genesis 1 and 2 through the summer, um, and we, last week, we did a review through those first two chapters. Um, where I, I just before we start, is there any questions regarding those first two chapters? Anything that you feel like wasn't adequately a- answered, or anything that you feel like that didn't get um, adequately covered? There doesn't have to be, but okay. Well, I want to start. I, I don't usually use PowerPoint, uh, but I may I may use some in this in this class. Um, I wanted to start by I've I've said a few times how foundational Genesis is and why it's so important to to understand it. Um, I I want you to see here. Uh, I think we've got a. Does have a pointer on it, Ken? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a pointer. Okay, so, so I want you to see why, part of the reason why I'm so adamant about Genesis, I think, and why I think that it's so important as a Christian for us to understand Genesis, especially in light of the culture, especially in light of even in the church, that there's so many that want to capitulate to quote-unquote science, 
And, and so now we have to understand it's not observational science. That's where you know, they pit Christianity against science, and in reality it's, it's, it's not observational science that, that's being pitted against Christianity. It's actually more of a religion that's being pitted against Christianity. It's a, they're not able, we can't, no one is able to observe. We didn't see, we weren't there when God created the world. Therefore, we, we can't observe that. You know, we can't observe that actual actually happening. We can observe, we all are looking at the same evidence. You know, you can see the layers and the rocks, and you can see, um, you know, the, you can see the fossil record, and you can see all that. We're all looking at the same evidence, but we're not, we're not seeing it through the same lens. And what I want you to see is if we look through a biblical lens, what we'll find is the, the evidence actually makes sense. Now, we're not going to be looking at the evidence because that's not the, the, the reason why we're doing this. I wanna, what I'm trying to do is give you the biblical lens to look at the evidence through so that when someone comes to you and says, uh, you know, a Christian or a, a non-Christian comes to you and says, this is what I see in the world, you're able to say, but wait a minute, this is what the truth of the Word of God says. And by the way, God is the one who was there. So he's the one who's going to say what is true and what is not true. Okay, so, but I want to give you another, another reason that I think, and I've said it a few times in different ways, but I want to give you another reason why I think that it's so important for us to understand Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 as being actual history actual events that happened in in time so and I, and it's I, the reason why and, and and again it's important because because what god said in the past he says similar things for the future and if i can't believe what he said you know about the past how am i going to believe what he says about the future that's what i want you to see that this stuff fits so so notice this is what what um this is like a mirror, if you will. Um, so Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-1 is creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 21-1 is the new creation. So it mirrors itself. It mirrors itself. So, so if, it, if somebody read Genesis 1-1 and somebody else read Genesis 21-1, Okay, now Genesis 21.1, or Revelation 21.1, sorry. So do you see now that, that, that we see this, we see this mirror effect, what happened in the past is what's going to happen in the future. And so if I can't trust the past, I can't trust the future. Uh, so, uh, somebody read Genesis 1-3. Okay. Now read, somebody read 21-23 and 22-5 out of Revelation. 
and in 22.5. Okay, so in, in Genesis 1.3, what is the source of the light? God is the source of light. There's no, at that point, there was no sun or moon. So there's no sun to light the day. Yet there's light. In Genesis or in Revelation uh, twenty one twenty three and twenty two five, what's the source of the light? God is. So again, I have to understand that that the first thing, the last things replicate the first things, right? Does that make sense? Somebody read uh, Genesis one twenty six. Okay, and then somebody read Revelation 20, verse 4. So, so, again, we see in Genesis 1.26, we see man's rule. That God, God put man on the earth to rule it. In, in Revelation 20, verse 4, we see that. Again, we see the, the man's rule. Now, look at, let's look at Genesis 2, 8 through 17. Well, I, I, instead of reading it, the, we won't take the time to read it, but, but we know that's a description of the Garden of Eden. Uh, somebody want to some of the high points of that? What what was some of the high points of of that description? What's that? And gold, okay. And what else? There was another something else that is there as well. Some other stuff. Okay, tree of life. Okay, and what else? The water, water is there, and then precious stones. So you have water, you have rivers, you have, you have precious stones, you have gold, you have the tree of life. Um, and so that, that describes the, the old garden. Somebody read Revelation 22, 1 and 2. Okay, so so we see some we see the parallels right there, right there. I mean, if you go on and read that section, I mean, you you read about you know the gold and I mean you you read. I mean, it's again, it's clear that that the last things replicate the first things. So if I can't believe the last or the first things, how can I believe the last things? So then let's look at Genesis three seventeen. This is probably the, this is the, and, and by the way, the reason why the, this is the middle, the sandwich, is because this is the focus of what's going on here. So look at 370, what's going on there? 
Okay, so the ground is cursed. So that's what we're talking about is curse. Be, the, the world creation being cursed. Um, and now, was man cursed? By the way, was man cursed? No, we'll see that. We'll see that later. It was the ground. It was childbirth. It was the ground. It was the serpent. But he never cursed man. It's very important for us to, to know. Note. Uh, read uh, Revelation 21 4 and 22 3. Okay, so then, so we see then, look at 22.3, read, read 22.3. Okay, so there's no longer any curse. So we see again the curse of Genesis 3 being reversed in Revelation 21 and 22. So again, how, how important is Genesis one and two, two, one through three, to understanding Revelation, and and what's going to happen in the future. What's that? It's right. It's I mean that's why I called it the foundational nature of Genesis. Again, if we can understand the first things, then we can understand the last things. Um, and I think that's I think truly that's why there's so much confusion in the, even in the church about what's going to happen in the future because we don't really understand the past. If we understood Genesis and we understood what God's program was from Genesis forward, we would then understand Revelation and, and we would be able to understand the last things. And I'm, I'm actually thinking, by the way, of when we finish Genesis to jump to Revelation. By the way, um, I think I can say this is true. Um, the John actually alludes or quotes Genesis more than any other alludes to or quotes Genesis more than any other book in Revelation. So, so I mean, we already see right here. I mean, all of this is a, all of these things are alluding back to Genesis. So, any questions, Rick? Yeah. Yes. It is a reset. I mean, that is the idea of the new. New heavens, new earth. The first earth has passed away. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, a, it is a reset button. But I think it's more than a reset button. Because I think, I think it's gonna, we're going to be going beyond that. So I think we're, go, we're going beyond the old Eden. The new Eden is going to be so much greater um, than the old Eden. And I think... You know, I, I, I do believe that that's, that will be the case. Um, any other questions? Any other thoughts? Well, it's part of the curse. Yes. 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 That's a, that's a nuance. Yes, that's correct. But, but in terms of he never cursed man himself in, in terms of the curses. Yes. Yes. Yes, he did. That's right. Yes. Which, I mean, that's... Yeah, 
Yes. Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. Okay, let's move on. Um, so, I, so I wanted to, what I wanted to do is just remind you real, real quickly, Genesis is the book of beginnings. Uh, so we see the beginnings, we see the beginning of covenants, and we see generations. Um, the purpose of Genesis, Genesis is uh, God provides important information regarding the origins of man and sin. Also, he also lays out his grand plan to redeem man from sin through Abraham and his posterity. Um, Genesis introduces the Torah by narrating how God, the God of creation chose to bless sinful mankind and reestablish human rule of the earth through Abraham and his seed with his physical seed who will inherit the land. And that was uh, Dr. Essex that, that gave us that or gave me this, this purpose. So let's just move on quickly. Just want you to understand the, the outline of Genesis, the creation. This is what we've been dealing with for the most part. Today we're going to go into the fall. Then we have the flood. Then we have the dispersion or the nations. I think you could say it that way. Um, and then you have, so that's four events of Genesis 1 through 11, and then four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then it ends up with the Joseph narrative. Um, so we see God's creation in chapter 1, starting it to all the way to 2, 3. Man's sin is where we're going to be at today, starting in, in uh, chapter 3. Um, and then uh, God's blessing in Noah and Shem from 5, 1 to 6, 8. And then we're going to go into God's recreation, which is the, the flood narrative. Again, we'll see man's sin in chapters 10 and 11. And then we'll see God's blessing in Terah and Abram. And then we get into the patriarchal history if we go that far. Right now, we're just going to focus on Genesis 1 through 11. Um, we get into the patriarchal history. Just wanted to give you just a really quick breakdown of Genesis and how we're, how we're looking at it. So... That brings, us, that brings us to Genesis chapter 3. So let me read, let me read verses 1 through 3. <coughs> you can follow on, along in your text. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God, has God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die. So we have here, starting in verse 1, uh, we are now introduced to we're now introduced to something else that's come into the garden. Um, the Moses, the author, is telling us that, that it's the serpent, and he describes the serpent as being more crafty than any beast of the field. What do you think, what do you think that would mean? Some thoughts.
Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, there's something shrewd about him. Um, probably it, it does, in the text, it does have a sense of that it's negative, it's not positive. Uh, we don't know that for sure right now, right? If we just look at this verse, I mean, in, in the flow of the text, we don't know for sure what's going on here in terms of whether it's positive or negative. Um, but we do know that there's something that Moses wants us to understand about the serpent. Um, he wants us to understand something that's, that's um, that about how he is uh, made. Now, in that first phrase, is there something there that I, I brought it up during the sermon series. What, what, give me something, is there something there in that first sentence that is different from chapter 1, or chapter 1 and 2. Or at least chapter 1. So it's not different than chapter 2. Let me, let me clarify. Notice the name of, name of God. Do you remember what we said about the name of God in chapter 1 versus... Chapter 2 and 3. Yeah, chapter 1 is Elohim. Chapter 2 is Yahweh Elohim. So he continues, Moses is continuing that Yahweh Elohim idea. Now as time, as it goes on, it'll actually, he'll actually, I mean he will, he, he will use other names for God but he will begin to drop the Elohim, and it just becomes Yahweh. And do you all remember why I had said that, that I think that that is the, the case? Some people believe that it's different authors. So, you know, Moses, there's somebody else wrote Genesis 1, you know, that, that, that then somebody else wrote Genesis 2. Some people believe that those are different authors because of the name of God. So, so what did I say in the sermon series. Do you guys remember why I said he did that? Yeah, yeah, I th yes. So, so Yahweh, if you think about, Moses was writing this to the, to the people of Israel. They were getting ready to go into the promised land when he so he, he this was their texts really my you some people think it was a text written to um kind of a rah-rah kind of an encouragement this is who you are this is where you've come from as you go into the promised land this is who your god is well that they understood god as yahweh okay so so when he writes in in, in chapter 1, he says Elohim, he's emphasizing the, the majesty of God, God's majesty, that, that God is creator, God is all-powerful, God is, up, is on his throne. What does Yahweh emphasize? Yeah, God, Yahweh, it's not, well, there is a sense, yes, that's correct. 
but it's but it's something else. Somebody turn or y'all turn to um, Exodus thirty four six. Somebody read Exodus thirty four six. It keeps going to seven until I. Yep, right there. Stop there. So, what is what? Is, how would you describe Yahweh according to that verse? Now, he also well, I'll point it out in a second. But how would you describe Yahweh? They're relational, right? I mean, he's a relational God. He's a good God. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's gracious. That's how you would describe Yahweh. How would you describe Elohim? What's that? Majesty? Did you say majesty? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so let me ask you a question. If, if God created, if God is powerful and God created the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, let's think about that for a second. How... How quickly do you think you would cozy up to a God who can, who's that powerful? Well, not very quick at all. Isaiah, think of Isaiah. Think of Isaiah. What did Isaiah do? Isaiah 6. I, he's, yes, I saw, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what did he say? I'm, I'm undone. Because he's a holy God, right? I mean, there's... The, the, it, this it emphasizes his holiness, his power. He's he's transcendent, right? I mean, Isaiah sixty six says the earth is his footstool. You know, I mean, so that we're we're talking about a God that you wouldn't too quickly approach. What about Yahweh? According to Exodus thirty four, is he approachable? Yes. Yes, he's approachable, he's compassionate, he's gracious. What Moses is saying is, is that Elohim, and by the way, in Exodus 34, 6, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim, is, it's the same. So again, he's doing that same thing there. He's saying that the gracious, compassionate God is the same God who I described in, in Genesis chapter 1, this God who created the heavens and the earth that's high and lofty and lifted up transcendent that you that's unapproachable you know he's, he dwells in unapproachable light I mean I, I that's I mean that's who he is yet he has chosen to be relational because he's good he's kind does that does that make sense to you guys okay yeah so I think I think that Moses is being very um, I mean I think he's doing this intentionally I mean he's it's not this is not just uh, he here he's, say, he's calling him Elohim, and here he calls him Yahweh. And I mean, anytime you see the names of God, there's there's intentionality behind it. It's not. I mean, the, the the authors are trying to bring out an attribute of God, right? 
Um, you know, so we, so we, anytime you see those different names, anytime you see the, the authors do that, then that, key, that clues us in that we need to be thinking in terms of what's the author trying to come, what's he trying to convey to us about the nature of God using this name. So, okay, so, uh, but here in Genesis 3.1, we see he's calling him Yahweh God. Um, and so what, um, so the serpent is speaking to the woman, and what do you think the serpent is trying to accomplish here? Okay, she, he wants her to question. Why do you think he approached the woman? Based on what you know right now, why do you think he may have approached the woman? No, I, I don't, I'm not, that's not what I'm driving at. I just, I'm just, yeah. Okay. Okay. That, okay, that's, a, that's, so, so God had given, I mean, I think that's a clear, we, we saw that in the sermon series, God gave the, the command to the man, the woman had not been created yet, so, so maybe it's a test of, you know, it's a te- it's, it, it ultimately, if you want to get down to it, is a test. Now, this is not necessarily Satan that's doing this test, but it's a test. It's a test of man's leadership, right? It's God had given the man a command. The command was specifically, what was it? What's that? Okay, okay. It, that's the command. That's right. That's right. He said, he said, from any of the tree of the garden you may surely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Okay? So, that, so he gave the man, the man that command. He also gave the, 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 the man, what, a responsibility. What was the responsibility for? What was he, what was he to do? Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, the words actually are cultivated and keep it. So there was an idea of of cultivating, making it grow, making it, you know, expanding it. I mean, we could have that idea. And there was an idea of keeping the garden. What do you think, if there's somebody that's in, if there's something or somebody in there that's speaking antithetical or against God, what do you think the man should do? Yeah, he should, he should, hey, right here, this is not right, right? I mean, he should, he, at the very least, he should say, hey, hey, Lord, this is, this is a problem. But in this, in this, I'll get in a second. In this situation, though, he went to the woman. And I think that it's a, it's a test of the man's leadership and whether he's going to do what he was told. And, and whether or not, remember, remember man was put on the earth to rule the earth, okay? Now, the, the question of whether, his, whether he's going to rule in the right way or not, according to God's word, um, Roberta.
No, he is. I think he is. Yes, he, I mean, John, John, I think it's John 3, clearly says that the serpent was Satan. The, so he calls him the serpent of old, um, which is a direct um, allusion back to Genesis 3.1. Well, I don't know. If it, I didn't say it was unclear. I mean, I I think, I mean, it actually, the word actually is the same word in Genesis 2.25 where it says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's the same word for naked. It's a play on words that, that the serpent was actually, the, now the serpent was more naked than than any beast of the field. Now, I haven't done a, a word study on that, but, and I can, I can do that for next time, but um, I thought about it, and I just didn't get to it. But, but it is that is more the the idea. Um, but the idea there, and I think the translators brought that out. The idea is craftiness. Uh, but right now, I think what I said, Roberta, is that at this point in the text, we don't know. I mean, we know later as as we as we keep going in context, we do know that it's not good. But right now, if we just take Genesis three one. We don't know what specifically is going on here, um, you know. And so, does that does that make sense? No, it makes sense because I think I'm trying to process this because it's like the serpent was crafty. Now, is it Satan within the serpent, or the serpent itself? Because that creates the illusion of creatures that are good. Yes. Well, I think it. I. I think that Satan took on the form of a serpent. Okay. Does, that, does that make sense? I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think if you said Genesis 131, God saw all that he made and, and behold, it was very good, then you would have to say that, that the serpent would be part of that creation. I think that what happened was is that I, I think that the, the idea here is that Satan took on the form of a serpent. Um, now, I don't know, I mean, you know, if you get into the curses, you know, you have that on the belly, you, on your belly, you'll go for the, re- the all the days of your life. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't, I think creation is cursed. You know, I think that, you know, whether snake, I mean, snakes are definitely part of that curse, you know, but, I mean, at the same time, I'm not sure specifically the snake is cursed, so to speak. It's. I mean, I think he was. He's cursing Satan here, if that makes sense. Um, okay. Any other questions before we? Yeah, I think so. I think so. The only point I was trying to make earlier is that at this point in the text, we don't know positive or negative, and we don't. I mean, if you just read this verse. Up, if you read up to this point, you don't know specifically. And we need to, and, and that's what I think that what I'm trying to point out is we need to let the text guide us. We have these preconceived notions, many of us, I mean, not all of us, but many of us have been in this, seen this text, you know, dozens if not hundreds of times, if not thousands of times in some cases. And so you bring preconceived notions to the text. And so I, I want us to let the text I want the text to guide us. Okay, so let's look at this. Let's focus real quick on the the serpent's 
the serpent's um, words. What does he say there? Okay. So what's he doing? He's doing what? Okay. Okay. He's 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 setting doubt on God's word. He's um, you know. It, the original Hebrew, if I'm not mistaken, kind of has a, a, there's a, it's not translatable, but there's a snort, like, did God really say? Yeah, yeah, that snort that we can do when we're, when it's something that's doubtful. Um, the, the text actually brings that out, but you can't bring it out in the English text. I guess you could say, you know, he snorted to the woman, but... But it would be kind of awkward in the text. So let's let's look at the actual statement. What's going on there? Well, I mean, it, it's not that he. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's not telling the truth. I mean, he's. But what is he doing? What's he specifically doing there? Yeah, he's he's twisting. God's words. What did God actually say? Uh, what? It, so, so, yeah. So he. Let me use his words, though. I mean, so two sixteen. What did God actually say? Okay. So, what did Satan say in three one? Yeah, so he's using the same words, or the same ideas, if you will, but he's twisting it. He's turning it around. And so he's making it sound like that God said something that God didn't actually say. Okay? And now... Yes. I brought that out a little bit in, in Genesis 2. We should see, I mean, it starts with an F. We should see, what do we see in Genesis 2 with God's command? Freedom. There's only one restriction. There's only one restriction. That's his, his law, there's freedom in his law. That There's only this one restriction, and really it's ultimately not a restriction at all. Then you have, what do you see with what Satan said? Uh huh. Normal. Yeah, I don't know. I think from that's. A, I mean, that's a good question. So the question, the question is, why did Eve not? wonder what's going on with this animal talking. I think from a, le- from a point of view of experience at the time, I mean, I mean these, this is fairly early on, right? I mean, it's not like, I mean, yeah, it should have been unusual to her probably, but, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, that, I don't know that she had enough experience. I mean, we have, you know, a, like all this experience that says animals don't talk. But, I mean, she, does, she didn't necessarily have that 
that level. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That it that could have been. Did you hear what Brandon said? Yeah, Brandon Brandon's saying, and I, I think he could be right, that it could have been part of the even part of the temptation. Here's this cool animal that talks and you know, and so I need to hear his wisdom. You know, that that is it is he maybe he must have something to say, therefore I need to listen. I, you know, it's it's hard to say for sure, but Okay, so so we see God God gave freedom. Now we see that God, that Satan is saying is making God's word restrictive. But is God's word really restrictive? No, no. Okay, so let's go on. And we've got ten ten minutes. Uh, verse two, verse two. The woman said to the serpent. So she answered him, "From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat." Okay, so it, did she, is that, is that a correct statement? Yeah, it's, it's a correct statement. We may eat from the fruit of the trees. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, well, let's add, let me just stop right there. From the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Now, was this the only tree in the midst of the garden? No, there was also the tree of life, right? So I'm not saying I don't know if she's if this is but this is a little bit different. There is a nuance here that's not fully right. I mean, yes, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the midst of the garden, but there's also she fails to mention that there's also the tree of life. Did God restrict them from eating from the tree of life? No. I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna get into that. Okay. Well, we didn't get to there yet, but yes. That's that's <coughs> Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, in God said you should not eat from it. From the tree of the fruit that's in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it and you shall not touch it lest you die. Did God said you shouldn't touch it? No. Now, some people would say that she's adding to God's word there, that that she's saying, you know, you, this is this is, um, you know, she she that God didn't say that. But got, let's let's think about this for a second. Who who did God say these things to? Adam. So Adam then told them to Eve, okay? So evidently they'd had a conversation about this tree. Now, it could be, I would, I would lean this direction, that instead of her adding to God's word, I think that probably what happened there, you're laughing, David, what do you think what happened? Yeah, don't even go near it. I can even hear myself saying that, Right? I get, you know, you do that with your kids. It, don't even go near that. Yeah, I think that's what's happening here. I think that, that, that Adam said, hey, look, God told us not to eat from this tree. I'm just going to tell you right now, don't even go near it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what's going on. And is that necessarily wrong for Adam to do that? 
No, I don't think so. You could say maybe he's being more restrictive. You know, it's interesting if you think about the law. What do we tend to do with the law? All of a sudden we're getting feedback. What do we tend to do with the law? Yeah, we tend to add to it. So, so we, tend to, we tend to change it to based on what our, what, how we look at it is what we really do. So, you know, if it's thou shalt not touch, you know, then, then we, you know, we tend to do more to, we tend to either redefine what it means to touch or we tend to do extra to make sure we don't touch at all. Like, or that we don't, we intend to do more to make sure that we don't touch or we tend to redefine what touch means. That's how, I mean, that's what we do as people, right? Uh, and, if, and if you think about, you think about the Pharisees, what did they do with the law? They redefined the law, right? And, and they, they redefined it, and they also made it more restrictive than it, than it needed to be. So again, we see that same pattern here in what's going on in the text. Okay, so... so So lest, lest you die. So that did God actually say that? Verse 3, last, last phrase of verse 3. Yes, he did. So, so what was the only thing that he didn't say specifically there in verse 3? Okay, okay. Um, verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. So what is, what is the serpent doing there? Okay, it's a lie. What's he, so what's he doing specifically? I mean, yes, he is lying. I mean, that's, that is correct, Omar. What's that? He's using God's words? Okay, yes. Yes, he just said, he just changed it to the negative. Yeah, I mean, he's doubting God's word. I mean, he's saying you can't trust God's word. He, he can't, God can't be trusted. That's what he's saying. I mean, that, that you can't trust what God says. Does that same thing happen today? It's the same lie, right? It's the same, Satan is selling the same lies. You can't trust this you can't trust what this says. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yes. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Let's keep going. For I, I need to advance this. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, what is he, in, what is he doing here? What's the serpent doing? Okay. That's right. Is there any truth to this? 
Okay, yeah, they were already made in the image of God. Is there any truth to what he's saying here, that when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will be like God? Is there any truth here? Knowing good and evil. It is a half-truth. I mean, because they will, they will experience, they will have a knowledge of good and evil once this, I mean, at this point, before, this, before she eats, you would say they're what? There's a, it starts with an I, innocence. Now, what is there afterward? It's the opposite of innocence. Yeah, the guilt, there's a guilt, right? So, what is guilt? It's a knowledge, right? It's a knowledge of something that's that's been done, something that I mean so now now they they know, they have an they have a knowledge, they have a, a greater knowledge and they do have an idea, a knowledge of good and evil. But is it like he is it like he's trying to say, is it like God has that knowledge? No, it's not. So it's a lie. Which is what you said, I think. So Okay. Verse 6, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit, and she ate, and ate. And she also, or gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. (coughs) Okay, we'll stop. We're going to stop in this verse. Um, And we'll pick back up. But, so what, what goes, what's going on here? So, Let's, let's walk through this. So she saw the tree, and she saw that it was good for food. I mean, that's pretty simple. I mean, she, I mean it, it looked like it would be good. That it was a delight to the eye, so it was a beautiful, beautiful tree, beautiful fruit. That the tree was desirable to make one wise. What was the idea there? Yeah, eyes being opened. Yeah, I think there's a, there is a the enticement there. And so she took from its fruit and ate. So she take took it and ate. Now I want to focus more in on the last part of this verse because I think it's important. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So let's think about this. Where was the husband during this conversation? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the implication. That's the implication, is that he didn't... What did, if that is the case, what did he not do that he was supposed to do? Let's think about the ways he went wrong. Okay, he's being passive. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't intervene. So he was the one given the command, right? So he let the woman deal with it. What else? Yeah, he didn't correct. He didn't say, no, 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 God didn't say that. He said this. He didn't correct. What else?
What did God put the man on the earth to do? To rule it. What did he not do here? He didn't rule. He didn't rule. He didn't rule rightly. God had given him and said, this is what you are to do. You are to cultivate and keep the garden, and you're not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yet what is man not doing? He's not ruling. He's not doing what God said, had told him to do. So, so we see there that the husband was with her. Okay, so that, I mean, there's some grave implications. It's not as if the man was over here at the edge of the garden, kind of expanding the garden while she's in the middle of the garden over here and, and talking to the serpent. The text implicate the implication of the text is, is that he was standing beside her and that he saw this exchange and he did not he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Yes, Rick. Yeah, it's I would say I would say it's Yeah, I would say it's temptation. I would call it temptation. Yeah, cuz James, you know, in James chapter 1, uh James gives the process of sin and I think it matches um I think it matches the 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 what we see with her in the gar- in the garden, actually with with Adam and Eve. Um Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's why I would consider it to be. Yeah, yeah. Look at look. Or if uh, um, James one thirteen says, "Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted." when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So there's the temptation, there's the lust. What was the lust in this case, in, in Eve's case? Yeah, and, but specifically it was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, it was desirable to make one wise. That was the, those were the temptations, right? And then... You know, what were the temptations for Adam? Well, it could have been, you know, I want, I don't, I mean, I love this woman. I don't want to, you know, it would, it would definitely, it, there was a temptation to follow as opposed to lead. Uh, there's a temptation to doubt God's word as opposed to believe his word. Um, so then, so then it, you know, James says that in verse, in chapter 1, verse James 1, 15, he says, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So what is the sin? It's the, the act of, in, that, in this case, it's the act of taking the fruit. So it's the act of reaching out and, and partaking. Um, 
So yes, I think prior to that was a temp- that it was it was purely temptation. They could have said no. They could have. I mean, she could have seen the fruit and and realized that it was beautiful. She could have seen the fruit and realized that it was potentially good for food. She could have seen the fruit and and thought it, it's there's possibility there that can make me wise. And she could have said, but no, I'm going to believe God. And it wouldn't have been sin. Which I think has some implications for us as well in terms of how we sin when we see something that is potentially, that, that we think is potentially quote-unquote good, that God has forbidden, and we say, no, I'm going to believe God, I'm not going to believe the lie, then we have not sinned. And I think there's the delineation. It's when we actually, you know, now that in your thought life, you know, like Jesus says, looking upon a woman with lust is the same as committing, committing adultery. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously there can become a point where then you cross the line into actually, in your mind, actualizing that sin. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think that if you see, as an example, if you see a beautiful woman and you and you're tempted to think and you say no i'm not i'm going to i'm not going to believe the lie and you turn away i don't think that's sin i'm actually seeing the beautiful woman and thinking and beginning to you know that thought process and you say no i'm out i'm not going to think about this i'm going to turn my head then i don't think you've i don't think you've crossed that line i think when you cross that line is when you begin to to run those images in your head well, it is 10.07, so we probably should be done. But I, got, I think I got as far as I wanted to get. Any questions before we close? Yes. That's right. Yes, that's good. That's good. All right, somebody want to pray us, uh, pray us out? Amen.